I'm Linus. Welcome to Kids Talk Church History, a one-of-a-kind podcast where kids investigate the history of the church. Over 2,000 years ago, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. As he kept his promise, how has Jesus built and preserved his church against all odds? Come with us on a trip through history to find the answer, here on Kids Talk Church History. Hildegard was the abbess of a Benedictine covenant in Bingen, Germany. She said that she had received some visions that God had commanded her to write down. She also wrote about science and medicine and corresponded with popes and rulers. But there's more. She was also one of the earliest known composers. She was so influential during her life and after her death that we can't just ignore her. Stay tuned to hear more about her and other medieval mystics. I'm Emma. I'm 16 and I live in Raleigh, North Carolina. And I'm Christian. I'm 14 and I live in Charleston, South Carolina. And I'm Grace. I'm 11 and I live in Raleigh, North Carolina. So the subject of this episode was actually my idea. I love listening to Hildegard's music and I wanted to learn more about her. And I thought the title Hildegard and the Mystics could make a cool like name for a band, especially since Hildegard was a musician. You know, when some of us older hosts retire from the podcast, we'll start a band. (laughs) So who are the mystics? So basically, they are people who believe they can know God or hear God directly through experiences or intuitions. And I think that that creates a problem in our confessional churches because we believe that God speaks through his written word, the scriptures, and that there are no new revelations. So why should we even bother to learn about the mystics? That's a good question, and I think it applies to other things in church history as well, and history in general. There are many people we already know we are going to disagree with, but it's always good to hear what they have to say, especially for us who are still growing up. It helps us to know what we really believe and why. For Hildegard in particular, I'm just really curious about her music, so. And I think um, a lot of people today like the writings of the mystics more than the creeds and confessions, so it's good to know more about the subject and how it started. So I'm not an expert on this, but I think that mysticism is pretty much as old as time. I think there were always people saying that they got direct messages from God. And did Hildegard say that too? Yes, I've read one vision she said she was having of nine circles of angelic hosts. I've also read that if she sent a letter to a pope or a king and didn't get an answer, or in the answer she wanted, she got sick and went to bed. I wonder if that would work with our parents. I kind of doubt it, but she was very influential, so me- so most popes and rulers listened to her. Who were some of the other mystics? Well, we have Bernard of Clairvaux, um, but he wasn't really a mystic like Hildegard. Some people call him a mild mystic, whatever that means. I think he stuck to scripture most of the time, but he encouraged Hildegard to write down her visions. Some other mystics were Meister Eckhart and Julian of Norwich. Eckhart wrote that God is like a spark of fire inside a piece of wood. As the wood burns, it takes on the properties of the fire. So human beings should just let go of any knowledge and thought and let God burn inside them. Yes, I read that too in Simon Eckhart's book, Church History. It's followed by a good question. If it's true, as the Bible teaches, that the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple, while the heart is deceitful above all things and, des- and desperately wicked, which of the two is safer to trust, the Bible or the heart? 
seems like a pretty easy answer, right? But let's see what we can learn from our expert, Dr. Ben Wheaton, a PhD graduate from the Center for Medieval Studies at the University of Toronto and author of many books on the Middle Ages. Dr. Wheaton, thank you so much for joining us. You're very welcome. It's good to be here. So you've heard our short introduction. Is there anything you would like to add or correct or just anything to say about the subject? Well, no, Hildegard is a very interesting person, and she's writing in a very interesting period in church history when these sorts of things, um, when a different kind of mysticism is starting to become very popular. And so she, again, um, is a fascinating person to look at. So if, as Christian said, the testimony of the Lord is sure, while the heart is wicked and deceitful above all things, why would the mystics choose to trust their heart? What makes this medieval mysticism so unique? Well, remember that mysticism is something that has been part of church history almost from the very beginning. Don't forget that in one of the Apostle Paul's letters, he speaks of himself um, rising to the third heaven and seeing enough seeing things that can't be described. And so lots of Christians reading that said, well, I want to do that. I want to get to that point too. But they also knew they couldn't get to that point without a lot of training and prepar- spiritual preparation, which means that they would have agreed that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And therefore, to get to the point where you could sort of rise in contemplation in your mind to see um, heavenly things and, and experience God directly or, or as directly as you could, they first had to train themselves in um, virtue and in, in, in righteousness. They had to read lots of Bible. They had to memorize lots of Bible. They had to um, sort of work really hard to cleanse their thoughts of as much evil as they could and to constantly be in prayer and do scripture reading and worship in a community, learn to obey those over them in their religious communities. Remember, the mystics were almost all of them, I think almost all of them, part of of, of religious communities. They were nuns and monks, which meant that they were part of a very strict life. They they led a very strictly ordered life in which most of the time they would not be, um, certainly not trusting their hearts, but working to discipline them. It seems that most mystics wanted to know God more closely than they could by just reading the Bible, right? Or maybe they thought their visions could add to the Bible or explain the Bible. Is that what they thought? They certainly did not think that um, they could add to the Bible. That would have been a heresy. And they would have been dealt with very strictly had they claimed that. They did think that through intensive um, training among scripture reading um, among them, they could rise to a point where they could experience God through a life of virtue and a life of concentrating on spiritual things and cleansing their thoughts of of evil. But that meant that uh, they couldn't, certainly didn't go beyond the scriptures, but they did feel they could experience God um, through what they would call contemplation, which meant thinking about God and thinking about truth and virtue and that sort of thing. So um, you mentioned a bit ago that uh, in the time of Hildegard, there was kind of this new uh, way of thinking about mysticism. So could you kind of explain 
what exactly you mean by that? Well, the importance of going on this emotional path towards God, which meant that sort of um, speaking in very emotional and very emotional language and sort of they would have these things called ladders of, uh, of, of spiritual knowledge, spiritual truth, in which you would sort of, um, I, in your contemplation, you're, in your thinking about God, um, learn to train your emotions and use your emotions to eventually sort of experience God directly and to speak very emotionally at God, almost um, as a husband and a wife speak of each other or what have you. Um, and this was sort of um, a new thing in that people are now concerned with how they, with, how they feel inside and paying attention to their own inner spiritual life. This is something very common. And the, the Puritans drew on this, for example. Um, and this is, this is a new thing in that it's less sort of concerned with what older mystics and older uh, monks and nuns would do is they would try to more to sort of an external, which would order their ordering their lives and cleansing their thoughts. Whereas now it's, it's the emotions in your own internal force of feeling and will that can so as we mentioned before, there are still some things that we can learn from the mystics, even if we don't agree with everything. For example, their passion in showing others how God is great and holy and how his ways are often mysterious. Sometimes Christians today try to explain away everything so that there's no room for mystery. What do you think? Why is it important to appreciate the mystery of God and, in, and his ways? Well, we need to um, reckon, we need to be aware of the mystery in God's ways because um, God isn't us. And um, and the Bible itself um, tells us that we need. To, sometimes God does things, and God plan, makes um, and God plans things that we can't understand, and that also God is greater than we could than we could possibly imagine. And so, one thing that the mystics tried to do was they believed we can just we can you know describe what God is like in some ways, but to really know God. You have to sort of experience him di him directly, you know, um, and only then. Obviously, you can't experience him directly um, all the time or even most of the time here in the present life. But they looked forward to a day when they would be able to experience him directly. Um, and they felt they could get glimpses of that. And so getting a glimpse of God's mightiness, you know, sometimes you're I think I'm thinking about, you know, one of the great doctrines of the faith or what God has done for us. And I sometimes feel this happiness flood through me, you know, and I think that's a kind of um, experience of a glimpse of what God is like. Do you think there have been other writers who have combined this sense of God's awesomeness with proper biblically founded teaching? I think John Calvin even can do that sometimes. Are there any hymns or other writings that you can think of that have that uh, biblical truth with also the sense of awe and wonder? Well, I think someone like uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones did that kind of thing. And he was, um, in some ways I described as reformed charismatic almost, and that he believed in the leading of the Holy Spirit a lot. Um, I think also um, Augustine was in many ways a contemplative theologian. He believed that um, one should try through scripture reading and, and pursuit of virtue and the like to experience God. But yeah, I think um, I think a lot of great authors, I think someone like you know, someone like John Wesley or others were um, had this experience of God's greatness. 
and yet we're firmly grounded on scripture. So I love Hildegard's music. I think it's absolutely beautiful. Do you know if there are any modern hymns or other modern music that was influenced by her or any of her contemporaries that sound kind of like her? Her music was actually not paid attention to for many, many centuries until about 60 years ago or less. Um, because it just was obscure. People didn't really pay much attention to it. There were other fashions that came in. And so this idea of sort of medieval music in general fell out of fashion up until about 50 years ago when suddenly you have these people coming around saying, hey, this is actually kind of sounds cool and it's and it's peaceful. You know, it makes me feel happy. Um, yeah. So not really until until very recently, but it's a very different kind of music. I think I read somewhere that Hildegard was one of the first people to put her name on musical comp compositions in the medieval period. Is that true? It is. And the reason is, is because most music was fairly, followed a fairly standard um, order and that you weren't really interested in making inventive or different or unique music. You're interested in um, framing words in music. And that meant, for example, you did not have harmony. The only kind of music they had was melody. So you just have one line that you would that you would sing. You wouldn't have two lines. And, and, then, and then the words would be at the center of it. You'd, you'd sing a phrase. You wouldn't have a rhythm and beat and meter, that kind of thing, was less important um, in ancient and medieval music. So uh, composers would not have any interest in putting their name to their music just because um, it wasn't considered something that was um, unique to them or, or, or the, an area that they could be original in. So uh, you kind of touched on this a, a little bit, but what specifically makes her unique like what what about her music was hildegard like man i want to put my name to this so everyone knows yes well hildegard was writing for her community for her religious community of nuns and so she's also writing with a very distinct kind of poetry and and he's writing very very distinct kind of hymns kind of that um are that draw on her mystical experiences that draw on her, um, on what she claimed were her visions. And so she, her own words, so these are her words, actually, we do have um, the names of people who wrote music, who wrote words for music before this, we just don't have the music itself. And then she also writes specific kinds of music for them. And because she is writing for this particular community, um, and therefore she is interested, she can put her name to it, or we know it's from her at least, because she's writing in service to those to those nuns who are under her but before and also but before you really didn't have that kind of um specific need to mention who it was because it was sort of a general community thing it seems that many medieval mystics were women do you think it's because they were not allowed to teach i'm just wondering because it seems that very few women wrote regular books during the middle ages well, the answer to that is that 
while many medieval mystics, especially from about 1000 to about 1400, were women, most were still men. So you mentioned people like Meister Eichhardt. We'd also have people like Richard of St. Victor, Richard Rolla, who wrote in the 1300s and 1400s, and Bernard de Clairvaux and others like them. Even Thomas Aquinas had a mystical experience. So while there were quite a few women, especially with the new, um, I guess, I don't want to be stereotypical here, but the new sort of emotionalism and combination of emotionalism and intellectualism, you did have uh, more, more women writers involved in that. But even, but even then, at the same time, you still have plenty of men doing it too. I would say that one of the changes is that you have both men and women in the later Middle Ages writing lots of mystical material, or lots of religious and spiritual material, um, where before it was would have been almost entirely men. But it was still majority men um, who are doing the writing. Some women did write before this and after this, um, they're writing books and the like. Um, we have a number, we have some um, biographies of famous saints written by women in the years before 1000, for example, and also after. So I did write some books, but mostly it was that while nuns were certainly taught to read and write, they weren't expected to produce spiritual material that could be read by others and used by others. Again, until someone like Hildegard, who was responsible for her community of nuns and was interested in writing spiritual material for them. Do you think women mystics were more popular than male mystics? I don't know, actually. Um, I think they were probably, I think in the later part of the Middle Ages, you have certain women who sort of express what we could call popular religion very well and in a way that made them almost sort of like um, considered like uh, prophetesses almost or people who looked upon as great as a sort of spiritual authorities in a sense um someone like marjorie kemp who while not in very good um, relationship with the church authorities was someone who nonetheless could um sort of attract she had a great popular following because she was she sort of her ecstatic um dancing or other sort of or or shouts or what have you um were viewed as being spiritually significant by a lot of the common people we might say which was more and more popular in the later middle ages can you tell us more about Bernard of Clairvaux? He was, I think he was not really a mystic like Hildegard, right? And the Protestant reformers seemed to love him. Why do some people call him a mystic at all? So Bernard was an abbot um, at Clairvaux, and he was a very influential abbot. And in that, during his time too, for example, he preached in favor of the Second Crusade, allowed many people to join it. And he also wrote again to many people, as did Hildegard, and he wrote to Hildegard and had a good relationship with her. But Bernard was part of this new movement of thinking about valuing your emotions and valuing who you are um, as a person in your personal relationship with God. And he did write 
a number of works that use mysticism. He wasn't a mystic at Hildegard because he does not have the same kind of ecstatic experiences that Hildegard had. Now, what's interesting is that many of Hildegard's visions look an awful lot like what someone experiences when they have migraine headaches. And so some of the things she saw, but then she used these to sort of, um, sort of make her think about spiritual things and, and think about and to, to experience um, experience God and her emotions and elsewhere. Um, but Bernard really didn't have the same kind of visionary. Um, I don't, at least I don't think so, but sort of visionary experience. But he was interested in contemplating God through working at climbing the spiritual ladder with your mind, as it were. Augustine does something similar with this in, in some of his works as well, uh, which is why Augustine's works were very popular with Bernard. But yeah, Bernard wasn't a full-time mystic, as it were. Of course, not that it was Hildegard. Um, but uh, he wrote a lot of works of theology, commentaries on the Bible. And the Protestant reformers loved him because he affirmed many of the truths. Like um, he seems to affirm things like faith alone and um, the importance of you know, the centrality of grace and the like. Although I would say to a certain extent, this is a fairly big part of medieval theology, period. We tend to think that uh, the Middle Ages was Roman Catholic. Um, in some ways it was, but in other ways it was pretty Protestant. But yeah, but but he was some people call Bernard a mystic, though, going back to our question, is because he did write works encouraging people and guiding people towards mysticism and saying, here's how you can experience God after this long effort. And thinking very and thinking very hard on spiritual things and cleansing your thoughts of evil. Um, here's how you can have these ecstatic experiences when you seem to um, experience God directly. So you are you are a medievalist. So are there any books about the Middle Ages that you would recommend for our young listeners? Any primary sources? Well, it depends how ambitious you are. Um, primary sources are in the Middle Ages can be pretty difficult because even translations, because the people in the Middle Ages wrote a lot in a very short space, which means they're when you read their works, they're very complicated and very just dense with ideas, and they quote the Bible left, right, and center without mentioning they're quoting the Bible. And it's just um, but there are some fun histories. Uh, one of my favorite histories is the history of Gregory of Tours, who wrote about the kingdom of the Merovingian Franks. And he is exciting and interesting because he's a good storyteller. Um, some other works I would suggest, though, some, if you want to guess, a couple of books of historical fiction that I really enjoyed when I was a kid reading. One is called Catherine Called Birdie. I'm sure if any of you have heard of that one, about a girl in, I think, 1400s England. And there's another one called The Door in the Wall. Yes, some of you may have read that. Um, and these are some really uh, fun books based on for kids based in the Middle Ages. Yeah. And of course, lots of C.S. Lewis's stuff. His uh, Chronicles of Narnia is um, based a lot in sort of medieval themes. And there's also a little book 
well, not a little book, a bigger book that I found really interesting. If anybody's interested in history, in uh, nonfiction, there's this British illustrator named Stephen Beastie, B-I-E-S-T-Y, who writes these big books called using making cross sections of all sorts of different things. Incredible cross sections is one of them by Stephen Beastie. And he has one on a medieval castle. And it's a book that shows all sort of all the kind of life that went on in the castle and all the kind of buildings that would be in the castle and all sorts of other things about it. And that's a really good way of learning about it because you can they've got little captions beneath all sorts of really big complicated um illustrations so those are three books i would suggest that was a very wonderful conversation and very interesting but now we just have two questions that we ask all of our guests first how did you become interested in church history and second if you can meet anyone from the middle ages who would it be well i became interested in church history because i am interested in Things I I was interested in things I don't know anything about. And I didn't know anything about one particular period in history just after the fall of the Roman Empire. And so I thought I should do my degree in it. Since, since I didn't know anything about it, because I wanted to learn about it. So I did that. And then I discovered that there's all sorts of interesting people that no one's heard of. And they're writing all kinds of books that no one's read. And that these books say all um, can say surprising things. For example, that um, I, well, the person I, I'm best at, that I, that I work the most at, a man named Venantius Fortunatus, wrote a whole sermon in the late 500s um, in France about how salvation is all of grace alone. And that we can't do anything um, good or pleasing to God unless he gives us his grace. I remember reading that and thinking, whoa. What I thought was wrong about the early Middle Ages. So just the excitement of finding new things and getting into it and discovering um, all the great stories of family of faith and how and how much they and just appreciating how much they loved God, m- many of them, and uh, and and loved His truth. Okay. Yes. And the second one is anyone I can meet from the Middle Ages. Well, the person I would most like to meet is Gregory of Tours, because he is a really interesting person, a good storyteller, and someone who was very quirky in many ways. He um, he he was of the opinion that getting dust from the tombs of saints and adding them to his drinks would heal diseases and the like, and things and such things, and he just. Christian is being a very um, uh, strange person that way, but also he's got a great sense of humor in his history of the Franks. He likes making jokes about the kings and the princes who are doing all these ridiculous things. Um, And so I think he'd be a really fun person to talk to because of his sense of humor. Dr. Wheaton, we are so thankful that you decided to spend this time with us. As usual, Listeners have an opportunity to win a copy of Simonetta Carr's book, 
church history, which includes information on the church in the Middle Ages. To enter the drawing, submit your questions or comments to questions at kidstalkchurchhistory.org. You can also find the link on our website, kidstalkchurchhistory.org. While you're there, you'll also find past episodes, special news, recommended readings, and more. And if you consider making a donation to support the work of the Alliance and podcasts like this one, we'd really appreciate it. In partnership with the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, and on behalf of my co-hosts, Christian and Grace, I am Emma. Thank you for listening to Kids Talk Church History. 